0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: There we go. Hey everybody, it's Security Bridges. We are back once again. Another crazy episode. It is the big trio. We are 30 episodes into this crazy, crazy project. I don't know where this came from, but it's wonderful. <laughs> uh, I'm sitting here listening to my music. I'm jamming out and I'm realizing I got all these guitars back here. One of these days I'm just gonna have to like grab a guitar and play my own intro. But maybe maybe that's down the road. We'll see. But hey! You're here, I'm here, our guest is here. We are diving into another amazing show talking about how we build that bridge and secure it. The bridge between security, the rest of the organization, the rest of society. How do we bring the security message to those people who don't do security for a living? So we have had amazing guests, 30 episodes now. First 29, every guest has been incredible, I can't say enough, and number 30 is no different. I am so excited for this episode, so let's dive in. Our guest today, here she is, it's Gina Yacone. Gina, how are you? I'm really good,
2: and I I think for the 100th episode, I definitely want to see you playing the intro using your guitar. I think that that is 100% attainable, and I'm looking forward to that immensely. I think that's doable. I think so too. I think so I'm too. Two years out, so I'm out of there. <laughs> well. Thanks for having me. That's. I'm really excited to be here. I've been, you know, following your career for a long time, and I am very impressed with all of your speaking uh, adventures. <laughs> I hope that one day I can live up to your resume in terms of speaking events and. Oh my God! What you're doing, and I, I love this platform. So thanks for inviting me. Amazing. Oh well,
1: yeah, you are. I am equally in awe of all the stuff that you've been doing. It's incredible. But I know what you've been doing. A lot of people out there probably know, but maybe some don't. So go ahead, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what it is all that you've been doing. Yeah.
2: Hi, everyone. Um, Like Alyssa said, my name is Jeannia Cohn and I'm an advisory CISO for Trace3. I am based out of Denver, Colorado, where we've had some snow over the past couple of days um, and I'm loving it. So. Well, I went skiing, so I need the snow to I need the yeah. snow to go skiing. So, um, but it, so I'm really happy to be here. You know, my career definitely didn't start in cybersecurity. Um I just I don't even think cybersecurity was a degree when I started. So, really thinking about how my career has kind of evolved me to where I am, you know, at Trace3, um, is pretty exciting, so um, I am getting my master's in cybersecurity now because I have interns that have bachelor's degrees and, ma- and master's degrees. And uh, when I went to college, you know, a hundred million years ago, cybersecurity <laughs> was not was not a degree you could major in. So no. um, thinking about just that, and uh, during COVID, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna get that master's degree, nice. so I'm just about to finish it. But um, I have a bunch of initials after my name from different certifications that I have. Um, but in terms of cybersecurity, kind of started um, with a startup, helping them kind of evolve their um, MDR platform or XDR platform, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call that. We had a SOC um, in Salt Lake City and that was eventually purchased by Sophos for their threat intelligence platform. So that was really kind of a cool kind of introduction to cybersecurity is, is through that kind of security operations center and really thinking about, you know, threat hunting and what alerts look like in that incident response and that incident response preparedness for organizations. Um, And then from there, I I was doing consulting for a while and really kind of being the virtual CISO for a bunch of organizations. And and that is anything from financial to insurance, to technology, to healthcare, to organizations that were gonna IPO um, and everything in between. So either they had a security program in place and we were just trying to evolve it or we were starting from scratch and I got to build it. So that was really exciting. And then I am now at trace three and I'm the security officer for the mountain state region, uh, which is really exciting. And then I also help with their go-to-market in terms of cybersecurity technology and innovation. So um, prior to that, I was in legal for 14 years as a private investigator. So that's like the, Kind of so, OSINT. I love OSINT. Um, I think it's really fun and, and, and an absolute component to a lot of cybersecurity. So, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> so sorry. No. That was a lot. No, of- this is incredible. And this I, is uh, I, I obviously wanted- had too much coffee today, I
1: think. No, this is what I wanted people to see. Like, yet another person on the show has accomplished incredible, incredible things. You said something that like, caught my ear early on, and I actually want this is your surprise going to poke at something you probably didn't think I was going to, you said your career evolved you, which is interesting to me. And maybe it didn't mean anything by it. Cause most people would say, well, I evolved my career. So I'm curious. And the reason it caught my ear is because I always look back at my career and I'm like, man, This is just like a lot of serendipitous events that happened that kind of built this. Like I this my career never would have been this plan, right? And I kind of wonder if it's kind of the same for you. It sounds like maybe it is. You know, it's so interesting. I feel like I I need a therapy. I need to sit on the couch. This is like a (laughs) therapy
2: session. I didn't know I said that. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting. Um, you know, for the audience out there, I have made a lot of sacrifices to get here. So, I'm, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Um, you'll probably figure that out on the internet, but I just so you know, I'll just put it out there. Um, but I did that because, you know, my career has always kind of come first. And I've kind of put my life on, on the back burner because of it, because I was trying to kind of get to this place, um, this like executive leadership space. And I just kept on making sacrifice after sacrifice to get here. And, you know, looking back, would I change it? I'm not sure. I, I, I definitely do. I have regrets. Probably. Yes. Um, but, Um, I think my career evolved me and I have evolved my I've hopefully involved the cybersecurity um, pathways for other women uh, to kind of get to be in either leadership positions and or, you know,
1: having a seat at the table in different capacities. So and that's really cool. Right. I mean, that is so it's something I think a lot of people miss It, it. There's nothing wrong with being focused on a career and, and making that where you want to go. Right. And I know you're probably sitting you're, you're saying you're talking about all these sacrifices and she's like, this jerk just sat here and said that she got there by accident. What the hell? Right. I, I'm sorry I true, though. Right. <laughs> the fact is, however we got here, it's that lowering the ladder. I've heard it called, right? Like how do you, you get to a point where, yeah, you're in an executive role. You're, you're in the leadership space. How, you know, not forgetting where you came from and then how can you help open doors for others so i'm i i'd love to explore that a little bit like how how does that resonate for you or what are the things that you're kind of looking to to impact from where you're at now with the platform you have yeah absolutely
2: um so this morning and on friday morning i am meeting with um i've had coffee or I'm about to have coffee with two up and coming cybersecurity professionals that are just looking, they're they're both been in cybersecurity, but trying to kind of get to that next level and different ways that they can kind of approach that. So a little bit of mentoring, helping with resumes, um, really also trying to go to different um, cybersecurity networking groups like ISSA or ISACA or Women in Cyber and or insert whatever, you know, acronym here, cybersecurity. Um, but going out there and um, being a part of the community, I think is really important. It's like giving back to your community from volunteering. You also, as a professional, I feel um, that Uh, at least as a woman in, in cybersecurity that I have to give back in different ways, just like you are doing this amazing podcast and you are giving back in that capacity and others. Right. I also feel like I have to do that as well because, you know, it, you know, I I've had, like I said, I sacrificed, I've gotten, uh, cold shoulders. I've I've been, you know, rejected and kind of gone through the gamut on being a, a minority in, in cybersecurity um, as a woman. And so thinking about that and, and thinking how I've kind of persevered through that. Um, I think it it does help other people to kind of hear my story and also hear about my, the roadmap that I took to kind of put myself out there so I can, you know, talk to people like you, you know, at this stage of my career. So,
1: I mean, and it is something that I, I don't want people to lose sight of, right? I think a lot of times people think of those folks who are out there really prominent in the community are speaking a lot, you know, some of whom have been on this show, including you, um, you know, I, I think they look at it and they think that, well, it's it's you know, well, they're looking for attention or, you know, that somehow it's self-serving. And the reality that I've been trying to get people to understand is like, look, maybe in a small way, at least for me, because what I found is I'm very awkward at events. And if I speak at an event, it's a lot easier to meet people. So you know But the reality is, I think for all of us who go and speak, there's really that component of trying to give back, trying to share, trying to create discussion, but also that visibility, like you mentioned, particularly for people who are underrepresented, whether it's because you're female, you're non-binary, you're somewhere uh, in LGBT, you're black, you're Hispanic, whatever, all of these underrepresented groups in cybersecurity, when you know, someone can look up and see someone who's come from that space that they came from and are like, they made it. That makes such a big difference.
2: It really does. And I also want to say, being on stage is so vulnerable. You know, it's, yes. you don't know what questions you're getting. It also forces me to stay relevant in this space. Cybersecurity is Ever changing. And let me tell you, every morning I am listening to the Sands podcast and this, you know, I think it's something from the CISO Times and, you know, things like that to stay relevant. I Google cybersecurity news every morning, look at see what's happened in the last 24 hours. Because if I don't know and somebody asks, yes, I can say I don't know, but it is so much better to be like, yeah, I, I, I saw that. I'm gonna dive more into it. What are you thinking about that? And having that conversation is just great. Um, but getting on stage is, is so vulnerable. You know, I definitely have anxiety. I'm probably sweating up there, and I am scared of the audience too. So, you know, one, it's it's making myself be up there to kind of see myself as a, as a an subject matter expert or learning a topic. Cause I also want to have people come up to me and ask questions or give me different insights so that I can learn yes. and evolve. Right. So, so
1: I, I had like this huge epiphany, just while you were talking, you were amazing. It. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of like imposter syndrome, right? we yeah. talking about that vulnerability. First of all, being up there and like, okay, I'm really not the world's foremost expert on this topic I'm about to talk about. Like, I feel that way almost every time I walk up there, there there's nothing I've ever presented on ever where I think I am like the person that above all else anyone should talk to. But what I'm realizing is when it comes to imposter syndrome and those feelings, like, Oh, I don't belong here or whatever. I think what people need to understand is it's you you become an expert not by knowing, right? I mean, we can all say cybersecurity is more art than science. And I think we're right. So in that respect, having an informed opinion mm. on something is what makes you an expert. It's not about having the right answer. It's about having an informed opinion. So you talk about, you know, going out and reading these topics and you know, and, and checking the news every morning, just so you can kind of be up to speed and know what's going on in the cybersecurity world today. That really feeds into that. Absolutely.
2: A hundred percent. And I, I think it's, it's really important to say what you know and what you don't know. You know, a lot of my talks are based on my experience, you know, those informed, informed decisions I've made, you know, over time, but there is so many different ways to approach a topic or an idea. And I really like talks where you get crowd participation and get kind of that feedback. I do a tabletop exercise, um, you know, presentation or workshop at different events. And it is all crowd participation. And I learned something about incident response preparedness every single time or how organizations are doing things. So it allows me to think way more outside the box and even evolve what I've learned. And it makes me excited. And and I just love having that aspect on people participating, me being there or people coming up after and asking more questions or having me research more. I think it's just so much fun. So.
1: That's how I close every talk I give. I tell them, you know, I, we all do it. I think we all put up like our social media information. I always say, you know what? I, I want you to continue the conversation. I want you to come to me. I want people to come to me and tell me I am wrong. I'm completely full of crap. I don't know what I'm talking about because I want to have those conversations. Now, I'd prefer they do it a little more politely than that, but hey, you know. But speaking of getting that kind of feedback, you Mm -hmm. mentioned CISO Times before. Yes. And I know you wrote an article for CISO Times some time back. And we actually got a question through Mastodon before the show even started from from Dwayne, who wanted to ask you a little bit more about something you said in that article. So I'm going to read this question. Unfortunately, for the folks watching and, and listening, it's too long for me to put it in the bubble. And if you're on the podcast, that bubble wouldn't help anyway. So I'm just going to read this to you right off of, uh, you know, right off the question Dwayne sent me on Mastodon. He says, it's a question for Gina. I read with interest your article uh, about cybersecurity due diligence and dark web search services. uh, Well, sorry, these are out of order. Cybersecurity due diligence during mergers and acquisitions. How much do you rely on self-attestation of security questions and how much do you investigate yourself? I'm I'm thinking of things like running email addresses through dark web searches, running asset inventory scans, or running an external vulnerability pen test. Naturally, any of these would be subject to agreement by both parties. But so how do, how much do you rely on the information that the target company is able to provide versus your own? You mentioned OSINT before, like the work that you do investigatively on your own to kind of validate the happy, bright, sunny story I'm sure that most of them are going to give you. Of course. Wow,
2: Dwayne, great question. Um, and thanks for reading my article with interest. I, I was I was hoping somebody would read it out there. So I'm glad somebody... <laughs> somebody I'm
1: sure more than one person has read it. No, you know, no.
2: that's super exciting. Um, you know, I definitely find interest in M&A um, because I, I just work with a lot of companies that are acquiring. And, you know, I think we've seen over the last a couple of years, like a tool consolidation where organizations are buying up other organizations. And so there's a lot of M&A in terms of the tech space and, you know, in, in, in terms of globally in, in the United States, it happens every day, right? I don't think that there is enough effort in terms of really doing that investigation or that due diligence before companies acquire. And so a lot of times I will work with IT teams that are beyond frustrated that that a company uh, that they were just, um, you know, uh, their company just purchased another company and they didn't find out about the technical debt, right. That that company had prior to acquiring it. So in terms of the amount of money that's needed to get that organization's current with the same or similar cybersecurity standards or IT or whatever that is. So one, I think that there's just a huge miss from a financial um, aspect on this like um, M&A component. When you're thinking M&A, a lot of times companies do look at the bank records and debts and you're looking at, you know, judgments and things like that to make an informed decision on whether you should buy a company or not. But most of the time technology is not, you know, Uh, considered at all, which is a shame. I think it's, we're starting to see that evolve a little bit more. Um, But to get to Duane's question now, I guess, and I'm sorry for that. But um, yes, self, you know, self um, assessments. I think it really just depends on your on your the culture of the organization and how you're going to rely on that, you know, if it's a self act, you know, self um, assessment, that also has evidence that's provided or artifacts or a SOC 2 type 2 compliance or, you know, a high trust certification or something that can kind of maybe back up, you know, the information. It's definitely one of those trusts that verify Um, some organizations. That's all you can get is a one of those kind of self attestations. Um. I do think it's really important to do due diligence. And if that's through um, dark web searches, um, looking to see, so we call that like reputational branding. So if you're looking in the web first that reputation of an organization, I think that that is wonderful. You should know kind of what you're getting into. And if they've had a breach, that changes so much for an organization. It puts the acquiring organization into a position of power. Maybe they can change the terms and there's things that you can do. So absolutely trying to look at that reputation through the dark web, and seeing maybe what you can find uh, to make sure that there wasn't a breach that maybe wasn't either you know, acknowledged or out in the press um, and or that maybe this they didn't know about, or maybe they have some open S3 buckets, right? So there's things where, you know, kind of understanding what you're what you're getting into is such a good thing. So, yeah, that the self self assessments, they do provide some value. It kind of gives you some of that Um answers to questions that instead of just doing an interview you might just get so there is some value there i love having the artifacts behind that just kind of you know trust but verify of course doing interviews would be great um and then i would always do a reputational search i think that that is a, a great thing to do Dwayne. so thanks for the question yeah you
1: you touched on something really interesting there and it's kind of the way i've looked at this um and i'm actually kind of curious to your thoughts um you know i mean M&A activities, oftentimes security is either not even taken into account or it's kind of the, the bolt on towards the end that they kind of, well, let's just make sure, you know, like, well, which is such a weird attitude, first of all, because, okay, you're going to ask me to look at this company and you're kind of like, well, just confirm that they're good. Um, and what happens when I tell you they're not? Because you're this far along, you know, you're not going to stop the process. But the thing that I've been, that you kind of touched on, that I've been trying to really, it, it, it seems to carry a lot of weight when you're talking like your company, the acquiring companies, CFO, for instance, mm-hmm. definitely the CEO, and maybe even the business units is that cybersecurity conversation can actually have impact on the valuation of that company. 100%. You get in there, you find vulnerabilities, you find issues that a lot of tech debt or something that's endemic, well, that's all money you're gonna have to spend post-close to get all of those systems up to speed. So using that to your advantage, not just, like you said, it can definitely impact other terms, but even just that raw valuation of the organization a lot of times, especially if you're dealing with a private company where all of that's up in the air anyway, that seems to me like that's a really good way to motivate. 100%. 100%.
2: And, you know, I, I it's also a culture thing, too. Like, if you're thinking about the culture of your people, right, your IT department gets so frustrated when organizations acquire others, and they just have this technical debt, and they're like, hey, merge the companies together. And there's so much things to consider about that you know that might be hiring more staff that might be a re-architecture of the tech stack and and the way things are segmented it may be buying new licenses it there's so much to that that's just really not taken into consideration and it's a shame and when we're thinking about like the people component it really creates a negative environment for the IT staff who, or the IS staff or information security staff who have been thrown these tasks. And it's like, go, you know, do go fix. Right. And don't ask any questions because they're now ours. So having that, um, kind of conversation in the beginning from an IT perspective. Um, That's why having like a a good CISO or director of um, information security that can speak to the board that kind of lays out, you know, things that they should be looking at Prior to acquiring, you know, and I think it's really important to uh, for any CISO director on the phone to really think about when you're going into the board, you know, what type of questions do you want the board to be thinking about as they are preparing how their growth strategies in the future and how are they considering information security as part of that? So that's creating a really a good cybersecurity culture when you're thinking about M&A um, uh activities
1: and this is a really neat topic too you brought up that idea of coaching the board Uh, because they don't know what they don't know right oh god i mean i've walked into board meetings and literally had a board member ask me what a CISO is right not at my current company mind you but that's happened and and it's not judgmental it's look at the background of a lot of these board members they grew up you know as executives in companies where CISO didn't exist and You know, and here's the thing that I've dealt with is, you know, your boards are oftentimes, as a CISO, your boards are getting coached on how they should ask you questions. And so now to flip that around and be able to coach your board on, hey, if we're looking at this activity, you know, here's what we should be asking them. Here's some things you should be poking at. I've looked at the company. I kind of understand their background. Here's places I'm really suspicious about what they're doing or, you know, based on the nature of their business, these are things that we really should be asking them about. That's an invaluable opportunity, but unfortunately I think it's, it's hard to get that opportunity. So how, how can we influence the rest of the conversation to get ourselves included into that, where we have that opportunity to coach the board? Yeah. Well, so board members talk to each other. I know that that, you know, while there
2: is like confidentiality between, you know, on the board, board members like to hang out with other board members that like to hang out with other board members. And so they really want to have strong knowledge and really also look smart, right? So having a CISO educate the board on trends and what to look out for and kind of what's new is you're putting your board in a position of power to look smart in front of their friends and also help them understand what your team is going through so the benefits there are endless and there's different ways that you should approach it like you know, one, when when I talk to boards or when and in the past, you know, it's really important to, yes, understand what's interesting, what's motivating them, what they want to see. But you should always create an element of education. You always have to provide the why. For messaging, if you're talking to an end user, if you're talking to a mid-level, if you're talking to the executives, or if you're talking to the board, you always have to say why. And it's a really good opportunity is when you're saying that why is to educate um, on that topic. So I always think that regardless of what your slide deck looks like for the board, you should always have an element of education, even if you don't get to it. It can always be a takeaway, but I think that that's really important.
1: Slip that in there and maybe the board will ask you a question on it, right? Let's talk about that slide deck and what that should look like for a moment. because this is a pet peeve of mine, right? (laughs) Nothing I I hate more than walking in and sitting through a board presentation where all of the slides are graphs and dashboards and numbers. I don't know where we got it in our heads that that's what boards want to hear. Because, you know, to your point, it is about the why. It's why are we doing these things? Why did we spend this money? It, it comes down to telling a story. And, yeah, all the stats and stuff, the graphs, the metrics, that's great to support the story. So put that in your appendix. They will, in most cases, at least in my experience, they do look at that. Yeah. But that shouldn't be the thing you're talking about. Talk about the story. Help them learn. Help them understand. Especially in a day and age now where we've got the SEC potentially mandating. Not on health. our door. Yeah. Right. Like so. How, how do you how do you construct if you're going to go in front of a board? What is you know? I mean, what is your approach?
2: Yeah. So I worked for a great company called Agio um, in the past, and they kind of had this thing called the three W's. It's kind of what happened, what's next, what's been done, or what's been done, what's happening, what's next. And I really think that that's a really nice three slides, you know, in terms of telling a story, you (laughs) know. I love this, the three slide (laughs) approach and you just, oh my God. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. I mean, so I in terms of that, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's really that it's kind of like here, Hey, this is what's been done. This is what's next. This is why. Right. And I I think you can, you know, really kind of boil it down to that with the, you can have the appendix with kind of the facts and figures. I do, I I see a lot of, (laughs) I took a great cybersecurity class on metrics and measures, um, in, in my master's degree. And I, I think it's, just instrumental and one of the things about cybersecurity metrics and measures is that it's very very difficult to actually put a solid facts and figures onto a slide deck and the reason why is because if we think about a sim um a lot of times, um, and that's an event <laughs> manager for for those who who maybe don't know. It's a it's a log aggregator, um, and so what it does though is a lot of times you have these rules and you're suppressing them. So what information that you have, of course, if the rules are suppressed, you, you've already you've already skewed that data. So it's really important when you're thinking about data is also telling the board that you know it's flawed you really also shouldn't tell the board, hey, this is complete. You know, cybersecurity is ever changing. I always say, hey guys, we're in phase one. You know, we're moving into phase two. We're in phase three. I never tell them when, what a, what phase we're ending at right so oh, we have that evolving thing to be like you know or this is our 2022 goals we don't know what's happening in 24 well, maybe we shouldn't know what's happening in 2023 but you know we don't know what's happening in 2024 but we will evolve that so it shouldn't be finite it like that is probably the worst thing that you can do to your board is to say hey look at look at our sim man we're blocking all of these countries uh, that does nothing nothing That's not telling your story it's not telling or, or gonna, um the board that you're secure or what the true risks are and honestly i, I shouldn't say that i don't want to say it's lazy but you know i think we can do better communicating I, better um and so i it, it is a difficult topic you should understand what your board wants to see you know ask them you know just like your end users and, and everybody else, it is a relationship where communication is important. So you have, I always end like, hey, what didn't work? What did you like? What would you like to see? You know, is there is there anything I'm missing, right? Um, and that's something you want that creates buy-in and extra communication when you're talking to boards, which is really, really important. But yeah, measuring cybersecurity is a very difficult task. There is some, you know, prescription behind it. But even then, there are flaws because of suppressions and other things. And are, are we even looking for the right things too, right? So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's about
1: controlling the messages. I mean, and this is something I wish, you know, a lot of people walk into cybersecurity executive roles, not prepared for the fact that this is kind of like politics. Okay. This is, you have to control the message because, you know, we've probably, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been there to have a board member ask. uh, So when are we, you know, when can we say we're secure enough or when, you know, when do we stop investing in cybersecurity? And like, You know, I got that question. The answer was, well, as soon as technology stops evolving, so you tell me when that's going to happen. It's not, right? And then, you know, if you go in front of the board and you throw just a bunch of numbers at them, right, and you say, well, hey, you know, we we caught this many alerts in our SIM. We did this. We did this. Without any context of what that actually means or why they should care, then you get the stupid questions. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't say stupid. The uninformed Mm -hmm. questions, things like, well, can you, can you tell me how many attacks we blocked last week? Uh, maybe, but even if I could, what does that tell you? I can go in there and say, yeah, here's our WAF. Look at it, it blocked 10 million requests that were potentially nefarious. One million dollars. <laughs> so secure, what about the 10 millionth and first that got through and exploited SQL injection somewhere and dumped a bunch of records? I mean, so it's, again, you know, like you, the same things that we preach against the cybersecurity professionals, we actually encourage those conversations to keep happening rather than taking control of the message.
2: I love what you just said there. We continue this week, this narrative that it, it is, it, 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 it is very upsetting. You can't prove the negative, right? Like, right. I, I I think that that's so interesting when the board asks, you know, Hey, well, did you, did you, did you stop any breaches recently? I mean, what? <laughs> of them. Yeah. Like, do you know I mean? people are knocking at our door every day just on the firewall? Like, come on, you know? So it, it, it really is. It is. I think that that's that educational element that's really needed so that the, you understand the board, the board understands you. It's a conversation and it's not a, it's not a chore. It should be something where I, I think you should be excited to talk to the board about your people and your processes and what you've done, and ask them, you know, what they think is missing or what they're hearing that other organizations are doing. Um, you know, get them involved in the conversation, just like you should get your end users involved in the conversation when you're thinking about, you know, preventative measures. So, you know, it, it's a relationship, and I think there's
1: there's ways to be effective on that. So, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I I literally have a board meeting tomorrow and I'm actually, I'm really looking forward to it. It's my first one with this new employer that I'm at. And, you know, I, I I love board meetings. I know know so many, you know, even, sorry, I hope none of them are listening because they'll probably give me crap tomorrow. But even some of my peers, you know, we're, we're in a a call and they're, they're they're like, ah, yeah, you got to do that board thing. We're so glad we don't do that. I'm like, you kidding me? I love that. I love going to the board and talking about this stuff because educating them is like the, the the greatest part of this. And especially right now where we're rolling into an economy that, you know, has been challenging the last, you know, what, six months. Um, and it continues, you know, we, we've gone from hyperinflation and now we're worried about a recession, um, you know, we're, we're seeing massive layoffs and they're not just some psychopath that bought a social media company and decided to fire everybody, but they're legitimate companies that are laying people off. And, you know, it's, I, I, that's a unique challenge that I think we can start to address through the board. But I'm, I'm kind of curious too, you know, I'm sure you're seeing the same things, right? The, the economy mm-hmm. is really creating some challenges. How do we, how do we go about this now? Yeah. So um,
2: I also recently wrote a blog article about that, and I'm actually going to speak about um, recession um, proofing or, you know, your your cybersecurity budget. Um, I find it very interesting and I, I want to take a step back. And, you know, during COVID, <laughs> we went uh, there was a lot of companies. Yes, of course, that went under um, mainly those in the service industry, but tech mm-hmm. But was uh, cash cow. I mean, c- uh, tech was king. So for a lot of these tech companies that can't recession proof right now, you know, I, I find it I don't want to say it, pretty curious. I-, I think it's it's more on their what their pot- potential dollars they thought they were supposed to bring in thinking that cash cow could keep on going and they're not getting it. And so as such, um, they're, they're kind of thinking about their stakeholders and and not really about the people that are they're currently employed. And I do think that there are some some really um, strong advantages to change. And there's probably organizations that did have to cut some of the fat. Um, but I also find it also curious that we can't keep on kind of recession proofing especially when we went through um, the aspect of you know this this major uh, all these people kind of quitting their jobs because they were unhappy right and and wanting to work remote and wanting to do this and kind of really kind of champion and and now you know we, we can't kind of think about this you know new technology and and people are kind of running scared. so I find it very interesting. Um, But I do find that there is a way to kind of recession proof your budget. And the way that I think it is, is, is being able to communicate that ROI. So just like we're communicating to the board, and having the board kind of understand your why. You have to be your biggest cheerleader and advocate in understanding why. And every day you should be asking yourself, like you are a third grader, why, 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 why? You know, why do I have this technology in place? You know, are we maximizing it? Those are things should be part of your everyday workflow so that when you're asked why, that you're not kind of thrown off on that. But there's also ways um, to look at, you um, kind of your technologies. So, so one, you know, cloud, it is a great time to kind of look at your cloud spend and kind of your cloud resources and kind of auditing, you know, that to kind of see that's kind of like the wild, wild west. But there's money that's being left on the table that could support a headcount, right? So there mm-hmm. is things that people should be looking at from a IT executive standpoint, to look at their different spend, to see if they're leaving money at the table. A lot of times too, when contracts are coming up for renewal, ask for a discount, a bigger discount. Hey, it doesn't hurt to to ask, right? You gotta ask. Um, But also you should be using um, technology, recession proof or not, like, or during a recession or not, as a technological advantage. You can use it for marketing, especially for cybersecurity. So when you're thinking about an application, you're developing it, you know, or you're going for a certain certification, having customers understand that you're more secure than the competition allows for better market share on your platform. So it's really important to also show how security is an advantage um, to, achieving your goals to being a market leader and doing that. So um, it's really important to be able to convey these messages because you want to keep your people happy, you want to keep your head count there, and you want to be able to justify that. So keep on asking yourself why, so that when that question is asked that you know, write it down, you know, create that as a homework assignment, audit your your what you're doing. Um, And you know, there's a lot more other kind of tips and tricks. um, But those are just a couple that can really help. Um, I think communication is though key. Yeah.
1: So I love this because this is something I learned in the consulting world. Yeah. Right? If you look at a consulting organization when downtimes happen, right, who don't they cut? They don't cut the consultants because that's their revenue. Yeah. If you cut the consultants, all you're doing is cutting your potential to make money. Now, if you've got a consulting arm, where you've got a lot of people at a big bench and they're not getting utilized, yeah, then you're gonna trim that because you're obviously not selling enough to keep your people busy and that's wasting money. But you're not gonna see if I've got, you know, uh, you know, a team of 20 consultants who are all hitting utilization targets, the last thing I'm gonna do is look there to make a cut because I'm killing myself. So when it comes to cybersecurity then, this is what I, I, I if there's one thing I really wish people could understand in cybersecurity leadership, tie yourself to revenue. What are you doing that makes more money for the company? I mean, a great example, if you want one, is think about you bring in an IAM solution, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, okay, great. We got this cool whiz bang identity access management thing. What if that enabled you to like sell like a, a, a federation, a, identity federation capability to your customers who are logging into, say, a SaaS tool that you have. Now, suddenly, you're part of the revenue stream. They're not going to cut the support for that product because, holy crap, we need that. that, That's driving revenue. You cut that, we lose money. And the best way, the only way to recession-proof a company is to protect revenue 100%. and so- 100%. I always say that also
2: about API security. I'm like, oh, you've got this great platform, you know, that, that highest revenue API that's connecting your clients to your product, you're not securing that? Like, if that goes down, like, wow. So I absolutely agree. Like, any technology that's also supporting um the capabilities of the company whatever that kind of uh business use case is if that's the cash cow and you're protecting it through security absolutely you should tie that in i agree that revenue is key and also i think that's why business impact analysis are great to find out you know where where in the business is spending money Um, when you're thinking about you know your budget you know are you actually securing the actual aspects of the company that are most profitable, and so are you using your your dollars for either the right divisions or verticals of your company, you know, or product lines, or, or what that is, or are you over here with something shiny that's not <laughs> that you would you shouldn't be spending your time and resources on? I think that that's very important. I love what you said there. Yeah.
1: No, and it's—I mean—you—you followed it up perfect with yeah. You have to understand your business's priorities. What matters from a business perspective? You can't just look at the technology and say, oh, this is a critical asset." Well, if you didn't why? talk to the business, you don't know that. Exactly. That's that. Why? Why is it a critical asset? You have to be
2: able to follow that up. I—I I think that that is so important. So important.
1: Awesome. Well, I, yeah, we're there already. We're we're at. Time, it's time for us to wrap up. But Gina, this has been amazing. I love this conversation. Um, it's absolutely incredible. I hope people out there listening take something away from this. Uh to all you folks out there, as you know, the recording will be available right away after the show. Uh, we'll have the podcast version available for you in a few days. That's on, you know, so if you missed any part of this, be sure to check those out. Uh, you know, uh, YouTube, uh, is probably the easiest place to see the recording. Obviously the podcast, your major podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So really happy to have had you all here. Gina. so happy that you were able to join us. Thanks Thanks for having having me. me. Absolutely. And you know what? We're going to keep on doing this. The show is going great. I'm getting lots of great feedback. I'm super thrilled every week to see all the people that are tuning in, so we'll keep bringing it your way. I'll keep looking for those great guests. If you have suggestions for a guest, please, by all means, connect with me on Twitter, Mastodon, LinkedIn, wherever. Let me know who you think you want to see on this show. And if you know any organizations who might want to associate themselves with the messages we're bringing here on Screen Bridges, We'd love to hear that too. We're always looking to incorporate their support as well. So until next week, take care everybody. Really appreciate you being here today. That's all we got today for this episode of Securing Bridges. Bye-bye. Bye everyone, thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think,